Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Today we will finish Aeschylus with Prometheus Bound. Maybe. I mean, we will review Prometheus Bound, but we may have already finished Aeschylus. The ancients attributed this play to him, but more recent scholars have debated over whether or not he really wrote it. The sources I found place this play at as disparate of dates as 457 BCE and 415 BCE. Aeschylus died in 456 BCE, so even that oldest date is close to the end of his life. One proposal is that Prometheus Bound was actually written by Aeschylus's son. At any rate, this is the first play in a trilogy, and I'm sure you're not surprised to learn that the other two plays have been lost. From what we have, it looks like the other two plays completed the myth, the myth of Prometheus with Prometheus Unbound and Prometheus the Firebringer. So what do you need to know about Prometheus before we start? Honestly, not much. He will tell you just about everything you need to know. Prometheus is one of the Titans, the gods who preceded the Olympians. You know, Zeus, Hera, Athena, that gang. Prometheus is older than all of them. And he has a soft spot for those small human creatures who live on Earth. In some ways, he's like Ariel in The Little Mermaid, except he knows more than the humans do. But just like Ariel is told that she can't be part of their world, Prometheus is told by Zeus that he needs to leave the humans alone. And Prometheus just can't help himself which is how he winds up in the position he's in, in Prometheus Bound. I will be using David Green's 1990 translation. In this case, it's a retranslation. He had initially translated the entire play in prose, and in 1990 updated his translation to bring back most of the poetry. As usual, whatever translation you use is fine. There are multiple versions available for free online, in addition to what your public librarian can help you find. As we see in Ancient Tragedy, uh, there is a small number of characters. We have Might and Violence, the latter of which is a non-speaking role. Hephaestus, the blacksmith of the gods, son of Hera, and an Olympian himself, is responsible for forging the chains with which Prometheus is bound, and there is, of course, Prometheus. A second titan, Oceanus, also appears, and Hermes, the messenger god, trickster god, god of thieves, rounds out the deities that appear in this play. The final role goes to Io. Remember Io? The one whose story is told multiple times in the suppliants? Yep, we get to hear from the cow woman, whatever she is herself, in this play. And of course, there is a homogenous chorus, this time consisting of the daughters of Oceanus. Now for a quick break before we dive into what happens, such as the word happens can apply to what happens in Prometheus Bound. Before we get started, a quick refresher on the parts of a tragedy, prologue, parados, episodes, and stasimons, and exodus. The play begins with a proper prologue. The scene opens on a craggy rock in the Caucasus. The mountains, not the election thing, and yes, I'm writing this in the midst of primary season in the U.S., might, violence, Hephaestus, and Prometheus enter. Might and violence hold Prometheus down while Hephaestus chains him to the rock. Prometheus takes this punishment in silence, but Hephaestus protests the whole while, so much so that Might berates him for taking too long. Once the deed is done, Might, violence, and Hephaestus exit, leaving Prometheus alone on stage. Prometheus monologues about how he got into this state. 
Namely, Zeus wasn't so sure about those humans, but Prometheus saved them, even going so far as to give them fire. He stops when he hears something that sounds like birds. The chorus enters. They are the daughters of Oceanus, so you'd think water spirits of some kind, wouldn't you? But they are bird-like in appearance and fly on stage. They have come to keep Prometheus company in his punishment and tell him that Zeus is still young and that he'll become more just as he grows older. The chorus asks Prometheus to tell his side of the story. And he does. And that's the play. No, there really is more than that, although we'll see that the play primarily consists of Prometheus telling stories, which is why this text is useful when assigned in a mythology course. The first story is the Battle of the Titans. Prometheus's mom, Themis, told him that he should side with Zeus and the Olympians in this battle, so he does. And once the Olympians have overthrown the Titans, Zeus takes the role of king of the gods and doles out the roles for the other gods. Those human things, though? Nada. And Prometheus doesn't like that. He pities those human things. He gives them hope and fire. And for that, Zeus now punishes him. The chorus knows the start of an epic tale when they hear it. They get out the popcorn and settle in to listen to the end. Oceanus enters on the back of a hippocamp, a fancy word for sea monster. Much like his daughters, Oceanus pities Prometheus and offers to help. First, he does so by recommending that Prometheus stop talking because he can't piss off Zeus any more than he already has if he just keeps his mouth shut. Then he offers to intercede with Zeus on Prometheus's behalf. Prometheus tells him not to bother. Oceanus has escaped Zeus's wrath so far, so there's no reason for both Prometheus and Oceanus to suffer. After all, Atlas is suffering too. And Prometheus then relates the story of Atlas's punishment at the hands of Zeus. You know that one, the whole holding up the sky deal? Oceanus agrees to do his best not to vex Zeus, and he and his hippocamp exit. The chorus sings a lamentation, listing all the places that the earth has cried. Asia, Colchis, Scythia, Maeotis, Arabia, the Caucasus. Wait, isn't that where we are now? Prometheus then says what is probably the funniest line in this play. Do not think from pride and stubbornness I am silent, followed by a 70-line monologue. This is the myth of progress and describes how Prometheus helped humans evolve from cave dwellers into civilized people with writing, math, domesticated animals, boats, and more. More? Oh yes, we can't forget medicine, prophecy, sacrifice, as in how to properly sacrifice to the gods. Basically, Prometheus takes credit for it all. Every human art form came from him. And for this, he must be punished. For even the gods cannot escape the fates and the furies. The chorus then sings a song about how they hope never to incur Zeus's wrath the way Prometheus has. A woman with ox horns on her heads enters. Remember the suppliants and how they kept talking about Io? Meet Io. She speaks of how she has been chased by the gadfly and wonders who this is she finds chained to the mountain and how miserable she is and how the gadfly is torturing her. And after a lengthy monologue, she wails a question of whether anyone hears her. Prometheus tells her that, yes, he can hear her and that he knows who she is. Io asks him how. how. She asks him who he is. She asks him why he's chained to the rock. He asks her to just please read his blog because he's already explained all of this. But long story short, he gave fire to man. And could she just share her story instead? And she does. She tells everything that has happened to her thus far. 
how she had dreams that Zeus was in lust with her. And yes, Green uses the word lust, not love. How her dreams told her to go to the meadow where her father's herds grazed because then Zeus may stop looking at her. How her father disowned her after he consulted the oracle about her dreams because the oracle said Zeus will destroy all if Io isn't cast out. How this somehow made her turn into a cow, or at least partly into a cow. How Hera sent Argos and his hundred eyes to spy on her. How Hera then sent the gadfly to pester her. And how Io then arrived on stage. Prometheus then fills in the rest of Io's story. You know, the parts that haven't happened yet. He gives her a mental map of where she should roam, across Europe until she gets to the Bosporus, or Cowsford in English. She should cross into Asia and keep going around to Ethiopia, traveling down the Nile. And there, finally, she'll find a place for herself and her descendants. At least until that issue with the Danaids that we already read about in the Suppliants. He also tells her that she will be immortalized, at least in name, as part of the sea she has crossed on her travels shall be known as the Ionian Sea. Oh, and then he gets around to finishing the story of her future and what will happen with the Danaids, and that Heracles will be one of her descendants. But that's a story for another day. Seriously. Prometheus makes a tangential reference to Heracles, then says it's too long of a story to tell today. Now, this is probably because the story of Heracles was originally told in the next play in the trilogy, Prometheus Unbound. It would have told the tale of Heracles, how Heracles freed Prometheus from his punishment. But it is kind of funny that Prometheus goes on and on and on in this play and finally gets to a story that he decides not to tell. The gadfly starts to pester Io again. It must have been napping during all the monologuing. And she exits. Hermes then enters because Zeus wants to know what Prometheus knows about his fate. You see, Zeus has heard about the prophecy that has predicted one of his children shall overthrow him. Prometheus, Prometheus refuses to answer until he is freed of his chains. And Hermes tells Prometheus that Zeus has decided to curse him further instead by having an eagle eat his liver every day. And since he is immortal, his liver will, of course, grow back every night. Hermes leaves. There is thunder and lightning. And Prometheus ends the play by crying out to the earth and the sky, a.k.a. his parents, to see how unjustly he suffers. We'll take a break while you digest this and come back to talk about the themes that stand out in this play. All right, what does all of this mean? Prometheus talks a lot, but if you think about it, not much actually happens in this play. Prometheus is chained to a rock the entire time. And honestly, I didn't even remember that I'd read it before until I opened my copy and found tons of line notes from my mythology course I took senior year. There are a couple of themes that stand out to me, both of which we've seen in Aeschylus before. The first is the transition from the old gods to the new gods. Prometheus is a titan, an old god, and he is being punished by Zeus, a new god. Prometheus is visited first by other old gods, Oceanus and the Oceanids. They sing of how the earth cries for Prometheus. It is a literal and figurative statement. Prometheus's mother is the earth, and at the end of the play he cries out to her and to his father, the sky, the old gods. 
We are repeatedly reminded that Zeus is still young and that his anger will be tempered as he grows older, that he will become more just as he grows older. Remind you of all of the changes we see in the humanities? We also see some interesting depictions of women. I didn't go into detail on this part in the summary, but Prometheus speaks of the Graii and the Gorgons when he describes all the places Io will wander through. In Disney's Hercules, the Graii are conflated with the Fates, those three hags who share a tooth and an eye. Those are really the Graii, not the Fates. And you probably are already familiar with the most famous of the Gorgons, Medusa. These are the three sisters with snakes for hair. They serve as warnings to women. If you don't marry, you'll join the gray eye. And if you're too beautiful, you'll turn your mate to stone. Again, we see this issue of being women told to treat marriage properly in the suppliants, the other play that focuses on Io. So what stands out to you in this play? The link to the blog is in the show notes, so come share your thoughts there. I am thrilled to see that there are listeners all over and not just in the U.S. I definitely look forward to hearing the thoughts of people coming from different cultural traditions than my own. So I hope you're enjoying my thoughts too, but please do come share your thoughts at the blog. On Wednesday, we'll continue with the Iliad, and on Monday, we'll go over Aristophanes' clouds. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.